Shirt Show. All right, let's go. Shirt Show! Talking Shirt! Shirt Show! Talking Shirt! Shirt Show! Talking Shirt! Shirt Show! All right, episode 23 of Shirt Show. We're talking with Phil from Pyro Press in Pittsburgh. Let's go! We're having a, a really sweet conversation about Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so do you yeah, like Brussels a. sprouts? Yeah. What's I do. What's, yes. Yeah. But do you like them because they're coated in a bunch of other shit or like Brussels sprouts by themselves? By themselves is fine. All right. Shut this off. He's over. We don't <laughs> <even care. laughs> yeah. So what's so going on, dude? Not much. What's up with you guys? Just talking shit to each other. Nice. Yeah, last couple of weeks ago, I I learned that buffalo wings originated in Buffalo, New York. Had no idea. Um, what is uh, what is Pittsburgh known for? Anything food wise? Pramani Brothers sandwiches. What, what is, is it? Pramani Brothers sandwiches. It's a sandwich with they got meat, cheese, French fries, coleslaw, tomatoes. It's all in the sandwich. It's all in the sandwich. Oh, that sounds amazing. It's yeah, great. It does sound good. It's awesome. Yeah. You can add but no, no for Brussels like sprouts. $1. 50. No Brussels no sprouts. No. <laughs> <laughs> do you add an egg? Is that is that what you do? Sometimes. It just depends. Yeah. You can. Yeah. If it's for breakfast, yeah. You know, like you add the egg and then you it's and then it's like healthy. Yeah, but there's a lot of like burger places. <laughs> there's a lot of burger places that like add like a That's true. like an over easy egg on it. That's good. It is good. So what's going on with you on Sunday? Are you working at all or? Yeah, I was. Uh, I was just doing some separations, prepping some screens, stuff like that. How many people do you have there? Uh, it's just me and another person full time. And then we have two part time employees. Do you have them there like in the busy season in the summer and then just you two in the wintertime or? No, it's year round. Year round? Yep. Do you slow down like in the wintertime? Are you pretty really, busy? No, no really? A little bit, maybe like the first week or two of January, but other than that, it's pretty year round. Yeah. So you're mostly doing bands, metal bands? Primarily, yeah. Yeah. How did you get into that market? Um, well, I was doing like a lot of stuff for just local bands here in Pittsburgh, hardcore punk bands, stuff like that. And then I started working with uh, a record label that is in the building that I'm in right now. And, um, he started sending me a bunch of work and it just kind of took off from there. It just occurred to me. That's how you do it. So you go to where the record label is and you move next door or actually <laughs> you go in, not even next door, the same building. Same Gee. building. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's how, <laughs> that's our next move. <laughs> well, that was something, that was something I wanted to ask you is like when we were doing a lot of band work, when we first started, that was like the in to make sure you had consistent work was to get in with, uh, like managers or designers of band merch or straight to the record label. So is that kind of like your go-to for getting that kind of work? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's how it started off for sure, because the record label has a series of releases planned for the whole year and they usually accompany shirts with that. So right. it's definitely really consistent and it's like, not necessarily predictable in a sense, but, uh, you know, we have a really good relationship with the record label that's in our building. So he'll send us like a schedule of releases that he's planning on doing. 
and we'll kind of know in advance, like, okay, this is what we're going to be doing in September and October and so forth. Yeah. So, so definitely the consistency, uh, is really good there. Yeah. So how did you get into printing? Uh, I got into printing through, uh, punk. Uh, I grew up with punk and I was always really interested in recreating my own shirts of bands. Um, so I would just like make stencils and spray paint them on shirts or like Sharpie them on shirts or like get iron on transfers from like the craft store. Uh, and then I, when I was in high school, I took like a graphics class and we did like a really small segment on screen printing. I mean, it was like uh, pretty primitive. It was like a screen from like a window and like a vinyl transfer and like whatever ink they had there that was probably been sitting there for like 20 years. Uh, and I thought it was awesome. I thought it was a lot of fun. And then I went to college and when I was in college, I took a screen printing 101 course and, uh, I was just super into it. I really liked it a lot. They had like a full shop set up there. And then I went on to work for a shop and then I worked for a supply company and now I'm here. I've heard that we've heard that a couple of times, like talking to people that they took this screen printing class in college, like where the hell was that when I went? Like, I didn't see any screen print. Class. Like, I totally would have taken that. I remember I took, I took like some bullshit, like fine art class or something. It was just like, like all about painting and everything. And I hated it. It was yeah. not what I was yeah, into heard at that. all. I wish I, I took sculpture in college and the th what I got out of it was. You just made a bunch of ashtrays. <laughs> exactly. I had a hand, I made this hand ashtray and like, and I had it all like for five years or something. I don't know where it went. It was so heavy too. It was made out of bronze or something. Um, so what's your, what's your setup? What do you, uh, how do you, how do you run your shirts? Is it a manual shop or do you have an auto? No, I have an auto. I have an eight color sportsman. Did you get that from Acme? No, I didn't. I bought my manual from Acme actually. Yeah. I have a BWM Hopkins, uh, six, four that I bought from Acme maybe like three years ago or something like that. Yeah. Cause we we talk all the time, but I had done an episode with him and he was saying that he like, uh, sold you a press or something. And then found out later that like you guys were kind of in the same market with bands and stuff. And, yeah. Uh, a little bit. Um, I think he was like trying to sell something on like the used screen printing equipment, Facebook marketplace type of thing. And we sort of like reconnected from there, but yeah, I bought my manual press from him, but I bought my sportsman. I bought it direct from M and R new. Awesome. What made you choose M and R and and also a sportsman? Uh, I used a twenty year old javelin before that, <laughs> so I mean that should say enough in and of yeah. itself. Yeah. I learned my lesson the hard way, and because uh, I was just trying to use the javelin as like a stepping stone, and it didn't really work out too well. So I was just like, I went to ISS in Long Beach, and I was like, all right, I'm just going to shop around for an auto, and I got quotes from like Workhorse on a Saber and rock and m and r and i just ultimately went with m and r just because i i like their presses the most um yeah. and i'm happy i did that because i love my press so yeah we we had we just talked about that um it was either last episode or a couple of ones ago how the hard way yeah you learn the hard way you know you have a press that you have to work with and you have to make work and I think by doing that, you know exactly what you don't like about that press and what you wish you had on that press, you know? And so then when you go and get your, you know, your, you know how to make an educated decision uh, for your next yeah. press. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So what made you want to do, I saw on your page that you, you only do water base and discharge. 
Yeah, well, so that's kind of interesting because I learned printing with Plastisol and I switched to water-based and discharge when I was doing a lot of manual printing because I have arthritis in my wrists and my fingers. So printing with Plastisol manually was really hard. Um, and it just put like a lot of strain on me, you know? So I learned how to print with water-based and I already had like a, an interest in water-based and discharge prior, but that was sort of what made me want to learn it and right. apply it. Your arthritis, was that from printing or is that from doing some other stuff? You no, know? I, I have, it's just something that developed at some drums. point in my mid twenties. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Drums, guitar, guitar, stuff like that. Yeah. We're not going down, we're not going down a rabbit hole with bodily issues again. Cause I, the last episode we did that comes out tomorrow is probably 45 minutes of very important, not very important 45 <laughs> minutes, uh, very, very educational mm-hmm. 45 minutes about plantar fasciitis, but uh, I had, I had similar with manual printing. I had printed for five years, you know, every single day and like a, a couple of days off, but literally nearly every single day. And I didn't get arthritis. I didn't, didn't think I was getting arthritis. I, I had carpal tunnel. And so I was like probably a few months away from surgery or something, you know, it, was, it got that bad. And so, um, that was my move to, uh, to an auto. I put it in my garage and never, yeah. left. but, um, but yeah, so it's, it's a re- it's real. I mean, it hurts, <laughs> you know, yeah, so I can imagine, you know, uh, what that felt like. Does it still bother yeah. you now with, uh, with, a uh, auto? It does, but it's not nearly as bad. Yeah. Um, one of the things like we run, we ran into a lot of times when we were doing like band work was we would get these like old school, hardcore bands that want always wanted to have like that thick white plastisol print. Mm-hmm. What do you do when you run into that now? Do you just try to, turn them into using water base or I actually, I've only ever had one person specifically ask for plastisol and it was a rush job. They wanted like 30 pieces and there was like six different designs. And this guy was like, Hey, like I want these shirts. I need them tomorrow. And they were playing like right up the street from our shop, but it needs to be plastisol. And I was just like, well, I'm not going to do it. What was his reason? What what did he want it for? Uh, He didn't have a good reason. Like I was like showing him pictures of like prints that we did with white discharge or even like white HSA water base, which is really vibrant in my opinion yeah, and really optically bright. But he specifically was like, no, it needs to be plastisol. And I was like, well, you know, good luck. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I funny mean? Cause like, like we've, we've had that before where they specifically asked for it to be like as thick as possible, but we've ran into it before. We're like, um, I think it was like a biker group or something ordered shirts. And like we, in our minds of printers always are like taught to think like, Oh, if it's, it's should be super soft feel, it should be all this other stuff. But this dude, we like, we printed, I think it was just like probably plastisol, but it was like white flash white, but it just wasn't like super thick. It was still soft hand. It was probably like hot headed or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, he got it and thought like we were, we were like, like scamming him or like not giving him a good deal because it wasn't like, you know what I mean? It wasn't like a quarter inch thick. Right. Like they, they look at it as like the thickness of it is like that they got their value. Right. So it's just funny. Like we've only had that like once or twice, but it's just, I knew like with old school hardcore bands, like there's a reason too. like, we have a bunch of upstate shirts and there's a shirt that we have that says like, uh, like keepers of the print from like, t- uh, and we did it specifically in like, like thicker plastisol just to have that like hardcore band 
Yeah. Is all you the changed was the plastisol or did you have a bigger gasket on your, like a, a higher EOM? You know what I mean? Did you coat the screen differently? No, I think we just did like more passes and probably like just white flash white. So we probably did like two on a 110 and then doubled again. Have you ever ran a, um, uh, like a gel gloss, like a gel clear, you know what I mean? On top of a, of a, of a plastisol print. I guess you could probably do it on, on water base too. Have you ever yeah, done Yeah, we have before, uh, but it's, it's like the, just like the high density stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Just high density clear. Yeah. We just had a customer. It was like a, so it was a matte black print and then they wanted, um, gel high density clear leopard yeah, print on top. on top, like just in spots, you know, on top. So it had a shine. Yeah. The reason why I asked that is because they wanted it super thick. And so we had to build up, we actually ended up PF, we PF, PFP, we flashed it probably twice or three times and hit it. And we, we want to avoid that next time. And so um, somebody, I had never used it. Have you ever used capillary film? I, I, we used it when we very first started because that was like the shop that we, uh, like my grandfather's shop, that's all he had ever used. And he like showed me how to use it, but it was really weird. Like just cutting it and like wetting the screen and putting it on. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever yeah, used that capillary film, Phil? I've tried it before, um, but I, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's super weird. Yeah, it's really weird, especially when you're so used to coating screens. Like I feel like it's made for people that don't know how to coat screens or can't yeah. coat screens, you know? It's just a giant fruit roll up. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but is, isn't that how like you would get a really thick stencil? If, if you were trying to build up some, or you that. could just build it up. Yeah. Yeah, you can, or you can just like coat the screen and let it dry and then coat it again. Coat it again. Yeah. yeah. I've never tried that either. Yeah. I've never had the need to do that. Like I've never had the customer. It was like, I need this to be fucking bulletproof. <laughs> yeah. I've never had that before either. Plus with water base, I guess that'd be a disaster. <laughs> yeah, it definitely would be. <laughs> It'd be horrible. Do you do you like test a bunch of inks or do you kind of just like find the one you liked and you stick to it? In terms of brand or in terms of like type Yeah, of just ink? brands and like the high solid stuff and um I did high solids a lot at first and I don't like them just because they have a tendency to like not really be super stable on press, especially like here in Pennsylvania like the humidity fluctuates a lot, so like if there's a day where there's like the humidity is really low, I feel like the ink dries out a lot more. Um, yeah. and I found that to be less with discharge and just the traditional water base. Yeah. Um, but my go-to is CCI for water base. Um, I've tried some other stuff here and there, but that's, that's what I like the most. So. Yeah. Have you had any issues? Um, you, we have issues once in a while and, uh, Juan's the one that kind of helped me fix that. I can't remember what I switched it to, but when we were mixing colors with the CCI water base, the white sometimes would like have like flecks of white in the actual color, even no matter how much you mix it up. Say you're mixing like a, like a red or a brown or something and you mix it up and mix it up. And sometimes you even use like the, the drill thing to like mix it up and then you put it on press and then you print a shirt. And then when it comes to the dryer, you see like white flecks all over the place. Like, like, like the, um, the pigment had like little dry flecks in it or something. Do you ever have that hmm. issue? I've never had that, but I use the uh, CCI's RFU system. 
So each color in and of itself is a standalone color. And then they're oh, also okay. a mixing system. So I don't use like pigments and bases and stuff like that. Oh, okay. See, I was using the pigment system and like the white, no matter how like clean I got the lid or like, I, you know, I would always try to wipe it and put the cap on. So nothing like crusted or dried or anything. Mm -hmm. I feel like every so often I would have an issue where like, and you don't notice it until you start printing either. It's just Yeah, of course. That's the tricky thing with discharge, especially because you yeah. don't really know. So you're printing and you start to see stuff coming out of the dryer and then either the color is wrong or like you're running into an issue like that. But that's why I like the RFU system is because it's really user friendly and it's really good for like if you're just getting into discharge, especially. Right. So that's why I like it. Yeah. Have you modded your sportsman at all to, to you know, spray some sort of mist of of water to keep your screens or a fogger. No, like but I, I have thought about getting the fogger just to try to keep things a little bit more consistent because they do have them now for the circular presses rather than just the oval presses. And you can yeah, retrofit the them. Like you can retro, you can retrofit the, the foggers on, on any M and R. Yeah. I think now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Tom, Tom was talking to me about it the other day. They uh, were trying to send one up to me because we do a bit of uh, water-based stuff and, uh, yeah, I think they they were talking about it at the launch of the Cobra that uh, they were trying to make like a standalone fogger system that you can put on any press. Hmm. Yep, they have it now. Are you trying to get it or thinking about it? I want to get it. Yeah, I want to get it because I want to try it out and see if it makes a big difference because sometimes I feel like if we're doing like full color, like a simulated process thing, like there's a lot of like waiting for the shirt to get to the end of the dryer and then you're looking at it and figuring out what you want to change and there's a lot of time there for the ink to kind of dry out. So right. it'd be good to have something to keep the hydration in the ink so that you don't have to like wipe the screens down quite as much to like get all the mesh open again or do a bunch of test prints to like push the ink back through. Yeah. So have you tried one of the reptile foggers? Uh, yeah, I have. It's, it's, it's not good. It's a <laughs> disaster. Good. Yeah. No, <laughs> it like the thing I tried it on a manual just to kind of see if how it would work. And it's just like, it's not built for like industrial use like that. You know what I mean? Right. Like the, the moisture tends to build up in the hose and it like, it'll either just like squirt a bunch of water out or it'll just like stop working. And then you kind of like tilt the hose and then like a bunch of water dumps out and it either goes like in the screen or like all over the floor. It's just, if you're going to do something like that, like I would say like buying a fogger that like a manufacturer is making specifically for this would probably be the best way to go. Right. Exactly. Be my best guess. Well, it's the second time we talked about foggers in our, in our podcast before <laughs> we came on, I was telling Dylan how I used to chase the mosquito foggers that, that went down, uh, went down the street. Do you have foggers in Pittsburgh that, that kill mosquitoes? Like they come down your, your, through your no. neighborhoods? No, this is only no, St. Louis. Like that. Exactly. <laughs> See, like New York and Pennsylvania like their fucking citizens. <laughs> Apparently in St. Louis, they're just trying to gas everybody. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I got to look into this. So what do you do? What do you do for fun when you're not printing? Like what's, uh, what's your hobbies other than printing? Uh, playing music. Mostly what I'm doing when I'm not printing because I'm printing 90% of the time. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, hanging out with friends usually, but I mean, that's been kept to a minimum the last few months, obviously. Yeah. yeah for real. Um, so it's mostly just been playing music and, you know, just working on, we had me and my girlfriend who owns the shop with me and works with me. We, uh, we own a house. So we've been like working on the house a bunch 
um, stuff like that. Was the house kind of like a fixer upper? Uh, yeah, kind of, kind of. We're remodeling the bathroom. We put up a fence in the backyard. So stuff like that. Yeah. So this working uh, 90% of the time. Um, um, what are you going to do about that? Because, because something's got to change, right? Because you can't do that forever. And otherwise you're going to, you're going to, I mean, nobody's last words were I, I, I wish I would have worked more. And so, um, I think, I think I know I used to work 90% of the time and I did something about it. And so what, what could you do? Do you need another, like another press or do you need to hire, you know, more people? What do you... Well, I, I would like for our part-time guys to become full-time. So we're sort of working towards that right now. What are those, what are their roles, the part-time? What, what do they do? Um, well, the one, the one guy is, uh, he's inexperienced, uh, but he's been here for like close to a year. So he like reclaims screens, stages jobs. Um, he's starting to like mix some inks and stuff like that now. And then the other guy is like an experienced screen printer uh, that runs an auto. So he like, he'll like set jobs up and he'll run jobs with me and stuff like that. So I'm looking for them to kind of like take on more of that kind of stuff so I can, you know, take a step back a little bit. What's, from what's preventing like, them from, from taking on more? Um, well, I mean, it's, it's mostly just a matter of like when I'm ready to have full-time employees, you know what I mean? Because the other side of it is like, we're renting our shop right now and we want to own our shop. We want to buy a building. So like, we're trying to like figure out how do we buy a building, get full-time employees and not overextend ourselves financially. So we're just trying to figure all that out right now. Have you tried not necessarily getting into trying to find more work or trying to find more employees, but figure out ways to make what you have more efficient to where you can get things done faster with what you have. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Like, are you guys using like, um, <clears throat> like a registration system? We're not Crossway right now, but, but I want to. Yeah. Cause that's like, like, even if you're using film, getting like a trilock for your sportsman would save you like a ton of time. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely a thing that's on my list. Yeah. So. Are you, are you the like one, one doing the films and stuff and stuff? Yeah, everything. Yeah. So that would be kind of on you really to um, kind of like put the film on carrier sheets and, and all that stuff. But it definitely sent, saves you a ton of time. So I would yeah. definitely look into that. Like yeah, hours absolutely. of your day. Yeah. So. Yeah, especially with the kind of work you're doing with all of those. Most of it's multicolor. If you were to get an eye image, if that yeah. was your next... Um, which is should, if, if a shop doesn't have eye image, I always say well, that's your next piece of equipment is yeah, well, if, it's, exactly. if it's not an eye image, it'll be a, a, a CTS of some sort. But um, because like Dylan just said, I mean, it's, it's a huge time saver. I mean, you're talking about a couple hours a day, you know, you know, minimum. Yeah. Right. And spending like whatever it is, what, like two, three grand on a, on a trilock or tri sync. Oh, you mean without to save the you that amount of time? Yeah. Right. That's totally worth it. Are you um, doing all, like you said, you were doing all the SEPs. Do you do all the complicated, like simulated process stuff yourself or? Yeah, I do it all myself. Do you have like a SEP program or are you kind of doing it all manually? Uh, no, I use T-SEPs. T-SEPs? Mm -hmm. Does that work pretty good for you? Yeah, it works great. I've been using it for a long time. And I mean, it's like, it works really well, but there's also like an element of like, I have to, tweak a lot of the different things yeah. like i mean you don't you can't just like press it and then it like 
everything's good to go. Like, yeah. you know, I, I tweak things a lot and like, and I feel like there's a lot of printers that think that they think the program just like did it and you could just print the films and go. Right. Exactly. It doesn't work not. like that at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's something that like we asked a lot about is about like the, the simulated stuff. And I feel like the only way to say, I feel like you can't teach that fully without having ex- some experience because you're like, you know, I know this color and this ink that I'm using on this mesh is going to have this type of dot gain and you know, this is going to do this and so on. So it's kind of like just experience with what you're trial using and press trial and error. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's still some element of trial and error for me with simulated process. Like there'll be times where like I'll print films out and then I'll like look at the films or I'll look at the screen and I'm like, actually, I don't really want it to look like this and I'll go back to it and (laughs) tweak it a little bit or like a color that I thought I wanted to use. Like I print that color and I'm like, actually, I didn't like that color. So like I change it. So it's like, there's, I feel like there's always some element of trial and error with it. If you really, if you have the like time and you really want to make it look as accurate as you can, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Is it ultimately up to you? Um, like that final when you're, let's say you're doing a, you know, a shirt for, for a band, is it ultimately your decision? What it, what the result, like the end result looks like, or do you have to show them a proof? You know, like do you take a picture or do you press approvals or, or what do you, how does that work? Uh, it depends on the customer. Um, if sometimes I will send them a picture and if, if I feel like there's something that I want to mention to them, that might be a little bit different than the original artwork, but more often than not, when I, when we get something to a place where I'm like, okay, this looks good. I want to run this. I I'm like, I'm, I'm giving the final word on it and we're, we're printing right. it. You know right. what I mean? Like you, you're going to know best anyway. You know what I mean? The customer's not going to know, like, this is going to blend with this and this is going to look this way. You're just like, trust me. Like, yeah. This is what yeah, I do. For sure. Yeah. yeah, for sure. But like I, I said, sometimes there's something where some things where it's like, Hey, like, you know, there's, 300 colors in this painting that we're printing. So like this, there might be a bit of a sacrifice between this color or this tone. Like you're okay with that. Right. And usually they're like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Now I remember when we were doing a lot of band stuff, we were always getting like, sometimes we were getting really good art and really good quality. And then a lot of times we were getting like metal bands that like drew shit on a napkin and like send it to us. (laughs) Are you getting a lot of that? With a lot of the metal uh, not really like drawings on napkins or anything like that. But like, we've definitely gotten some stuff where, uh, I just take one look at the art and I'm like, this is not going to work. Like, I'm not going to print this. <laughs> it's just not going to work. Like, I don't want to put my name on something like that. And I don't want them to put their names on something like that. So I'm usually like, you either need to like get a better scan. It's usually the scan. That's kind of where yeah. it like originates. Cause it's either like an illustration or a painting. And I'm like, you need to get a better scan of this, or you need to get someone that knows what they're doing to take a photo of it. Or we just need to do something else completely. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, sometimes that happens, but I would say most of the time, like uh, most of the bands we work with, we're getting like really good, high quality, either photos or good scans of the artwork. Yeah. But yeah, we've definitely gotten some pretty, some pretty bad stuff. Before. I don't remember if I talked about it on this one or not, but Andy, you can tell me um, where we had a metal band once that had like the super scratchy logo. Uh, it's like a death metal band or whatever. And we printed it, everything fine, got it mock-up approved, got, did everything. And then like three months later, they came back to us and were like, Hey, uh, this is embarrassing, but like a customer, like a fan of ours 
let us know that our logo is was completely like upside down and backwards. <laughs> like they didn't even realize because of how shitty and scratchy their logo was. So yeah, that kind of just like sums up like how they treat their artwork. That's a perfect print job then. Yeah. You can't mess that up. Yeah. It's just fucking scratchy lines everywhere. But sometimes it's so nice printing on like a sport gray shirt because a pinhole or something, you just will never find it. Yeah. So Yeah. How are you doing uh, your neck labels with water base? I discharge them. I just do like light pressure on a high mesh and just discharge. Turn what does that do out. to the other side? Like, does it, it doesn't come through? Yeah. You don't have issues with like bleed through? No. I mean, I'm mostly, I'm not doing like any really like thin shirts, like Bella canvas or anything like that. It's mm-hmm. mostly like Gildan 5000 or like Gildan hammers or like, all styles or stuff. So that material is really thick. So like, like a, like a six ounce. Yeah. Yeah. So if you hit it with like really light pressure and you're using high mesh, you can get the print to come through and you're not like fully penetrating the back of the shirt, you know? And plus I don't really do a lot of that kind of stuff. So it's like, I have one customer that I do it for and, um, you know, I found a good way to do it that works for me. So that's what, that's what I'm not interested in getting like a heat press or anything like that. Yeah. I just didn't know if you used Plastisol like just for those or if you were still using water base. Yeah, no, I, I very, very seldom use Plastisol. I have like maybe like a quart of black Plastisol and I have a quart of phosphorescent Plastisol. I think Dylan's like, trying to get you to admit that you use Plastisol some <laughs> Don't, you, don't some you fucking time. lie to me. <laughs> like, okay, fine. He's like, I have a quart in the back. <laughs> it's his guilty pleasure is printing with Plastisol. Trust me, that's yeah. not a guilty pleasure of mine. <laughs> How do you... Uh, so on your Instagram, you have sleeve prints almost all the, on every shirt. Yes. And we all know um, how much we love to print sleeves. Do you feel the yes. same way? Is that, a, is that a love of yours or a hate? I love printing sleeves and I'll tell you why. It's less work up front. Like if you have a job that's four-sided and there's sleeves and a front and back, like that's just one job. So then that's one proof. That's like one whole like set of separations or artwork like you know, you could do like, I don't like to do like 20 of this and 20 of that. And I would rather just have a bunch of labor tied into one shirt rather than a bunch of different shirts. That makes sense. You're dealing with one customer. It makes sense, except you have to, you know, change out your pallets and then wrestle with the pallets. Wrestle with them. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I've never wrestled with my pallets, but what sleep pallets are you using? Uh, I just have uh, action engineering sleeve palettes. Is it well, just a single or is it the double? No, it's just single. Yeah. I mean, I do wish that these equipment manufacturers were able to have an arm that was slimmer so that you can mm-hmm. fit the sleeves on there. That's what they like, just did with the Cobra. Yeah. So particularly like small and mediums, but like, I mean, other than that, it's not too bad because most of the sleeves we're doing are one color anyways. Yeah. So it's and really again, like, bad. Again, like you're kind of dealing with the same issues that we were dealing with um, a couple of years ago. But like you said, the the nice thing about the market that you're dealing with is you're they're doing like Gildans and all styles and stuff that kind of have like a thicker sleeve anyway and a bigger sleeve. Mm-hmm. My problem was is that anytime we had a customer who wanted like Bella Canvas or Next Level or something like that, and they would get like extra smalls and smalls, like we were stretching it over that M&R arm 
Yeah, we do send that Bella out. Canvas extra small sometimes. Right, it, it sucks. Up. So, so we basically went down a rabbit hole of like trying different manufacturers' palettes, and we ended up landing on the Action Dual Sleeve Palette. Um, and it's like it's their new one, but it's like super thick, so it has like very little deflection, if any at all. Um, and that was like huge for us. Like we love those things because there's no stretching of any kind. Like you're just right. literally going over the arm. So are um, you doing like two of the same design on that? Or are you doing like two different designs? You could do either. Like if you had, if you had a, a band or whatever, who just wanted to do like the left sleeve, you could just do two at a time. Or if right. they had both sleeves, you could do the both sleeves at the same time. Like you could just or slide even a different or even on. different graphic. Yeah, or you could do it like a different job entirely. I guess you could, yeah, same color. You're basically just doing two at once. As long as you can put it on the same screen, you can do it. Um, Right. So, do you think it's harder to pull those off of the like unload them? No, fucking way better than before. Way easier. Because the problem is the problem before was on if you do on the single, you're catching those yellow like lock tabs. Right. I mean, and you're stretching it over stuff. These, it's literally just like a like a four inch piece of aluminum. And there's nothing under it to catch anything. So you just slide it on. We just use water-based adhesive on it. So you just slide it on, pop it up, pull it back off. Um, I mean, it's an investment to get them because they're not cheap. But, like, it was huge as far as... But they probably pay for themselves after a couple jobs. Yeah, Yeah, because you got to think, like, if you're doing a ton of sleeve jobs and, like you said, on the smalls and mediums or extra small, small, medium or whatever, you would be like, well, fuck, like, we ruined, like four or five of these like i have to reorder them put it back on press tomorrow to fix those sleeves like we were doing that all the time like we were mm-hmm. always having something and it sucks too because generally we do sleeves last so it was like we would do like a four color front four color back and then we have like a two color sleeve <laughs> yeah. and you would mess yeah. up like three sleeves and you'd be like fuck and you never think about it either you're never like oh let's do the sleeves first because that's the most troublesome one right it's just kind of like that's just the way it always ended up working out was it was such a headache, but yeah, they definitely paid for themselves as far as like eliminating a lot of those headaches. So you know what I, I saw that was, uh, no, was cool was when you're doing sleeves and let's say you're doing on an extra large or just, you know, the larger size shirts or even like sweatpants or something is that instead of, so how we do it now is if, you know, to prevent it from dragging on the floor, we'll bend over and flip the sleeve over, the yeah, arm. over the power arm. Yeah. yeah, and so it's hassle, right? Well, I guess Action makes these little hangers that the hanger. Yeah, have you seen that? We have, we have one. Um, they sold, they sell them with the other pallet that they have, the one where you pull the red lever out and it pops up in the air, and then you slide it over. That that was their original way to get around the pallet arm. Is just making it to where it was like a like a hinge sleeve pallet is what they call it. Yeah, yeah. But when they, they do that, you have to slide it through the cuff. You can't slide it, slide it, slide it through the neck. Oh. So if you slide it through the cuff, then in the front of you, you've got like the whole rest of the fucking long sleeve hanging on the ground. So they made those like hanger brackets. But the problem is with those is it's like, again, like the reason why a lot of people don't like to do sleeves and all this other stuff is that they have to take all the t-shirt pallets off and then put all the sleeve pallets on. So not only do you have to put the sleeve pallets on, but then you have to go around and hang all the brackets back on on the bottom for like the stuff to hang on. So it's just more stuff that you have to like put on or more stuff that you have to like organize in your shop or put away. So on a long pant run, uh, run or sleeve run though, that, that hanger would be. Yeah. If it was like, a, because, if you were doing it all the time, I feel like it would be yeah. worth it. But yeah, 
Um, for us, we just bought the double and we still load through the neck. So we have the rest of it near the end. So like you said, we just flip it up over the pallet arm. So it's not dragging on the ground. But I don't know. It's a thought. If you want to try one out, I would try one out, dude. Like for real. Just call just call action and be like, hey, I want to try one. I don't want to buy 10. <laughs> right. Like just send me one and then I'll try it out. And then. I did that with uh, stretch devices last week. I wanted to try their, um, they have this, a squeegee that looks like a flood bar, but it's this real tiny, um, like squeegee, like this tall, like literally. What is this for? And it's just a, it's, I don't, what is it called? I can't even remember what they call it, but somebody on Instagram showed me, sent me a video and he's, he's been raving about it. And so I'm like, okay, fine. So I called stretch and all I did was give him my um, UPS number and they sent me a, like a demo. Um, it was a, a kind of a pre-owned one or used one they had in the back and they sent it to me and I ran one at the end of the day on, on Friday. Don't ask me why I want to use it or anything. Yeah, but what know. is it for? For printing shirts. It's just a tiny squeegee. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, you no, didn't no, describe no. it at all. You're like, Hey, there's this thing and it's real tiny and you put it on press and fuck me. Right. <laughs> like you didn't say like, this is what this does. Um, no, it's a, it's a squeegee. So it's just like a, it's the whole squeegee holder and squeegee, but the squeegee is really, really small. That's the small part about it. Well, why is it small? Right. See, he's with me. <laughs> so, okay. So check like this why, out. Like just why? Is what is the so point? Small? Um, you'll have to ask stretch devices, but here's what I think. Here's my mystery. Here's my theory. It's small because, um, well, one, you're the squeegee. When you lock it in, you lock it in straight up and down so that you never change your angle. Like the angle is predetermined on that, on the piece of rubber that goes into the squeegee holder. And also it's small. So you know how, um, like currently we don't sharpen our squeegees. We kind of toss them because they, they're so they get the, the, there's no more flex. I mean, sorry, there's too much flex. You know, if you have a rigid squeegee, that's 70 durometer or whatever you're getting or a triple durometer over time, over thousands of prints, it loses its rigid, rigidity, rigid, rigidity. Is that how you say it? <laughs> I like, I like rigidity better. It's, it gets, it's all rigid. No, no, no. And so this, but so this small one, like literally is just, I don't know if it's like maybe a half inch, I'll go grab it but it's maybe a half inch tall and that's not going to happen. And then you just pull it out, literally just like pull it out. Um, no screws, no nothing. You just slide it out and then stick another one in, another one in for 10 bucks. I'm going to go get it. Want me to get it? Show it to you. <laughs> yeah, go get it. Go get this. I got to see this thing. Now. Yeah. <laughs> so do you, uh, do you just focus on bands all the time? Like, is that your hundred percent niche or do you like try to branch out into other things? Um, I mean, that's mostly what my niche is, but I do have, uh, some other clients just like local clients here in Pittsburgh, like restaurants, coffee shops, things like that. But yeah. it's, uh, it's more few and far between it's mostly bands. Um, yeah. because I mean, not only do we have like the bands that come to us for custom work, but we also have a web store where we do like fulfillment based stuff. So like, right. that's kind of like our added revenue stream, um, mm -hmm. for that rather than getting, new customers are trying to go into a different niche. We sort of focus on like, you know, doing more of the same in different ways. If that makes sense. Now with your fulfillment stuff, are you, are you printing like stock and putting it on a shelf and then pulling from it? Or are you doing more yes. of like a, yeah, so we're doing like, we usually do pre-orders um, and then we stock it based on what the pre-order is and we add to that. Mm -hmm. um, and then we just pull it and ship it. 
and how then often, restock it. How often are you adding to stock? Like, what do you, what do you let it get down to before you reprint something? Uh, it just depends. I mean, it depends on the band. It depends on how fast it's sold. Um, there's a lot of variables with that. Uh, I kind of like to let stuff run completely out to zero and let it be out of stock a little bit because then people are, will start asking us like, Hey, when are you going to restock this? When are you going to restock this? Right. And it kind of like builds up the demand a little bit for it. And then once we restock it, then like a bunch of people will again. place orders, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So it kind of, it kind of depends. Every band sells a little bit differently and every design is a little bit different. So, yeah. I mean, we've been doing that for about a year, so we're still kind of figuring it out a little bit. Yeah. One of the things that we ran into, like when we first started, that's how that's, that was our business model was bands because that's what we knew. Um, but we really started to, we never like made a decision of like, fuck this, we're not doing bands anymore. But like, we definitely stopped pushing for it. Like we stopped being like, cause before it was like hitting up, like I said, managers and labels and all this stuff and like getting all this band work. And then we started kind of swerving into more like, wouldn't say corporate work, but like work where it was like a company that we could get in with and they had like a, you know, like quarterly budgets and they had like, but it was still fun stuff. You know what I mean? It was like comic book shops and stuff like that, that we still liked the art. We still like to do it, but they had money. Um, Do you run into that a lot with bands where like, you're kind of like, all right, I'll print this on terms. And then you have to like hunt them down for money. And I've, I've never really had to do that. Um, a lot of the band, I should say most of the bands that we work with, they, they have money because people that like metal love to buy merch. They just mm-hmm. love to buy merch. It's like and brewery. people that like metal, they have like good paying jobs where they can just buy merch all the time. So a lot of these bands, like if, if it's a band that's kind of popular, like, a lot of times they'll have a budget or they'll, they'll have money. You know what I mean? Or they, a lot of the bands, I guess that are like, you know, that try to do that, like play in a band as a career or take it really seriously. Like they have stuff planned out. Like we're going to do this release. We want to have all these shirts. This is what we want to spend. You know what I mean? So I, I haven't really ran into a situation yet where a band has like, try to not pay me necessarily. Yeah. I feel like that we just ran into that a bunch of times. It wasn't all the time, but it was like, especially with bands, I feel like, like that was what we loved. You know what I mean? Like we loved being in bands. We loved watching shows. We loved all that stuff. And it was like, eventually you get to the point where you're working for like bands, like you're printing for bands that you, you really, really like, like, you know, you get an opportunity to work with a band that you've loved and you're like, Holy shit, I'm going to work for this band. And then you find out that band's like, full of a bunch of dickheads and they like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, yeah. kind of like don't meet your heroes kind of thing. And like they, uh, and then again, they're like, Oh man, is there any way that you can like print us, you know, say like $5,000 worth of merch, we'll give you a 2,500 now. And then when tours over, we'll pay like the other 2,500. And then when tours over, you, you never can get paid because you're hunting them down. And it's just like, I feel like we ran into that so many times where it's like, you were just constantly fighting to find money. And it was just like, I don't you know. Do this. And then like I said, you get a company that comes along. My experience has kind of been the opposite where it's like, uh, like bands for some reason, like most of the bands we work with, they, they pay me entirely up front, and awesome. they're, they don't ever complain about the price. And like, you know, one time when I like first went full time with my, with my shop, uh, one of my dad's coworkers, he works at like, it's kind of like a corporate job, but he, uh, 
he wanted to get shirts and it was like through, it was like legit through the, the company. And he was like, uh, he's like, I'm not going to pay a deposit. I want the cheapest possible price. Our budget is like basically nothing. And it's like, you know, how is it that like these like hardcore punk bands and these metalheads <laughs> have money, have like a couple <clears throat> thousand dollars to spend on this merch and they're able yeah. to pay me up front. No questions asked, but like, this guy like is like doesn't want to pay yeah. his bill that's that's like 500 bucks you know what i mean so i was yeah. like i don't want to work with you man well, like, it's the I don't same thing do too. Kind of stuff. it's the same thing too like you can go the other route like you were saying it's like there's these huge companies like massive companies that order from you and they're like we have to do everything that 30 and it's like yeah dude i literally i'm not like a you fucking said, bank like right I like I, I have people for like super long, you know, right? Like I have all these people that are scrapping money together to like pay for an order and they, they pay for it. No problem up front, hundred percent of the time. And then you want to order like 10,000 pieces and you're like, I'll pay you in like 40 days. And it's like, doesn't work like that. What do you mean? Like, <laughs> I don't yeah, get how you can't just like either. write a check right now and send it to me. Like, why does yeah. it, why do you have to wait until 29 I think days? Some, I think some uh, places, if it's under 500, then it, maybe that's no problem. But sometimes organizations or, or even businesses, if it's over a certain amount, there has to be two signatures on a check and things like that. Or I mean, I'm probably approved, just, you know, yeah, I'm probably just super longer. ignorant to the fact because I've never had to like, I've never understood that, but like, realistically why like why does it take 30 days like i get i get that like a big company probably has like an accountant they send it to or somebody who does that but like why does it take that person so fucking long to like write a check it's right, never but if you early. if you call them and you wanted something from them and you're like oh, hey i'll pay you in like 40 days they'd be like no yeah they'd be like there's no way there's, i'm not doing yeah, this not happening right but for them they'll they'll push their weight around and they're like i'm gonna wait 30 days or whatever it's like yeah like we've had that a lot of times too with co those companies that are just like, if you won't do the terms, we just won't work with you. And it's like, what the hell? Like, yeah, I just don't understand. Like I said, there's yeah. probably a reason. There's probably a legitimate reason, but I just don't know. Right. right I mean, and, and I've like floated customers that I've trusted before. You know what I mean? Like if they like, they're like, Hey, like we haven't toured in a while. We're going on tour. Like here's a deposit of half. Like, can we pay you at the end of the tour? If it's somebody yeah. that I really, really trust, like I'll, I'll do that. You know right. what I mean? If I'm in the position where I can do it, I'll do it. But if it's just like someone I've never met before, some like, especially like a corporation or like something like that, I'm just, there's no way there's no, I feel like, happening. I feel like we just were, were dealing with the wrong fucking bands because you're like living on a fucking cloud dealing with bands. And <laughs> them paying. But like me and everybody else I've talked to about bands are always just like, yeah, fuck this. Like, well, I'm also really want. selective about the bands that I work with. Yeah. So I, I don't just like work with any band. Like a lot of well, these bands that I work yeah. with, it's either people that I know already or it's people that I know through other people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it's like a, a lot of times, like if it's a new customer, like some, a current client will like vouch for them and be like, yeah, this person is cool. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to have any issues, like whatever. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there's always an element of risk to it, but I mean, we're really, really lucky with the client base that we have for sure. All right, Andy, show us this tiny squeegee. Hmm. All right, so uh, shout out to Rick from Kinetic Print Co. That's who told me about it, but here it is, ready? So you've probably seen this before. It has ink on it, so I don't wanna fuck my mic up, but. I actually have seen that before. You see how that on that part will, can slide out? Yeah. And uh, uh, check okay. out how it- It's so, so it weirdly locks, shaped. It goes in like, um, 
It goes in like this. So you just have to have the squeegee straight up and down. It and it's already set way. at its own angle. Right, right. Yeah. So you lock it in like this, right? And it prints this way. Right. And so it, it's actually turning the ink. It's printing this way and turning the ink. What do you think? I tried it. I, I haven't tried it on a whole order. I just printed one shirt, you know, on Friday. So the, the, realistically, the benefit to it is that you're not dealing with the flex of the squeegee? I don't know. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I really don't know. Well, there's <laughs> multiple, I mean, without trying it myself, like there's multiple benefits to it. Like you said, of the fact that you, you can buy a $10 replacement and just slide it in. Yeah. Um, but the other part of it would just be, I guess, that it's got a permanent, you don't have to fuck with squeegee angle. Right. And it's got that sweet hook on it that looks like it stops ink from getting all over the squeegee blade or all over the, well, it would be squeegee holder, but yeah, I don't know. It's just that out. pretty cool. It's pretty cool, right? Mm. And I got nothing Taste to it. wipe it on. Taste it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, if that was water-based, water if that was yeah, water-based, right? it'd come right off, right? Yeah, there you go, man. <laughs> this putts and this plastisol. <laughs> <laughs> come on, man. It's 2020. Why are you still using plastisol? Yeah. Well, I use both. See, that's yeah. the thing is like... There's an advantage to both. Right. Well, that's the thing is like, we've had this discussion a ton of times, but it's kind of like, I base what ink I'm using on like what the customer's artwork is. Right. I know you could probably Which makes do total sense. Right. You could probably do just about anything with water based or just about anything with plastisol. But I look at it as like, what specifically is this customer dealing with? Cause I'm not like, I'm not like you where I'm dealing with one niche. I'm dealing with like, like 15, you know what I mean? And then whoever totally. comes to the door. So it's like some, some band might come through and I'm like, all right, he wants this. It's water based or this or plastisol. And then I've got this like clothing line lady who wants nothing but like, uh, like higher end feel tank tops for her yoga studio thing. And it's like, all right, well, I'm going to use water base for this or whatever. So I just look at it as based on the job. So for me, I'm not like a yay plastisol, yay water base shop. It's just whatever works for that right. customer. And I mean, every shop is different. So like, yeah. it's, you know, I would never say, I would never advocate for like any of your guys shops to be like, all water base and discharge or all plastisol. Like it's yeah. just whatever works for you, whatever comes naturally to you and like whatever you think is best for the artwork and the customers that you're working with. That's ultimately mm -hmm. what it comes down to. Yeah. And plastisol too, like plastisol gets a bad rap, but like there's, there's like a million ways to print plastisol too. Like so many different additives and you know, like just different feels and like pressures of ink and what emulsion you're using and all that stuff to like, get the right lay down and everything. Like, I feel like there's probably that water base too, but I feel like there's just a stigma of people thinking plastisol is always like super thick cracking ink. Um, but it's just, it just depends on the printer really. Yeah. Okay. Um, y'all ready for this? I, I Googled this whole thing and real quick, it is called the Newman constant force squeegee. And it says constant it eliminates force. constant force. Okay. Um, and lemon, <laughs> who comes up with these names? <laughs> That's what I call my thing too. I call it the constant for it. <laughs> so they make auto, they make manual and automatic squeegees, uh, eliminates the squeegee length variations caused by sharpening and solvent attack, which changes the squeegee flex angle 
Never sharpen another squeegee blade. Simply replace the tip when needed, half the cost. Minimal squeegee pressure and angle adjustments are required. Uniform ink film thickness is easily achieved. Improved color and print definition using less pressure. There's only a couple more. Unique design constantly rolls and mixes the ink, keeping it fluid and smooth. That was, was, that was, was the hook. Yeah, yeah. Uh, reduces carding since the ink uniformly tracks down the frame. Reduces in ink climbing up the handle. Yeah, and uh, the last thing is spe- uh, specifically formulated urethane tips and various durometers will typically last six months to two years. Easy cleanup, no screws to trap ink. It's pretty Constant sweet. I mean, I'd l- I'd Constant be down to try one. Yeah. Problem is, is I just bought a fucking quick clamp. Yeah, I have one of those too, and it is sweet uh, for sure. Things are cool. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem is, is like you you get a manufacturer because it comes out with something really cool like that. And you're like, fuck, I wish I had that. But you have like thousands and thousands of dollars worth of the other thing. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Oh, I don't want to switch. And this is going to illustrate that point perfectly. So I probably have 50 squeegees and 50 flood bars mm-hmm. uh, between three presses. Well, and, and each, and these, each quick clamp squeegee holder, 75 bucks before shipping. Well, yeah. So here's what I'm going to say. If I was going to, we were going to buy these and we we're going to get like 50 of them, which is insane. First of all, they're $106 each. Right. times there's no way i'm buying 50 so if you know i get 30 <laughs> of them 30 there you go Three thousand, yeah yeah <laughs> but so i said too like with those with those sleep pallets like those ship to you or say say it's like you know 350 bucks or whatever if you need 10 of them for your for your press <laughs> like if you have an 810 it's easily four grand ship shipped right you know what i mean but it's just that investment. But then, like I said, you look back at like how much money did you waste on like reprints and payroll to like have somebody redo everything. And sure. It makes sense. The same thing with those squeegees. It's like kind of like factor how often you change out your squeegee blade. How often are you fucking around on press with angle? And, you know, if you have old squeegees, are they flexing too much or too little or pressure? And there's a lot of variables. It's just kind of like what works for you. But. Well, the thing I like about those is that it looks like you could just slide the blade right out without yeah. any screws, right? So you could just so it's clean the whole thing out and it's put basically the blade eliminating the quick clamp. <clears throat> yeah, I mean that's the thing that sucks is like I mean you, I'm sure you guys have had this before. You get ink trapped in the holder, and then it kind of like bleeds out as you're printing. You know, mm-hmm. bleeds. Well, you have that more with water base probably just because of how like fluid it is. Totally. Yeah. No joke. I had somebody, I had ink get in a print just on, it was Thursday or Friday that came off of a clamp. One of the clamps that the, somebody loaded so much ink into a screen that it climbed up. Like they was talking about it climbed up the back of the, I guess the, 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 the squeegee and got mm-hmm. onto the clamp and then it was white ink and then there's black ink on the clamp. So that's, that's like a good question for like debate. This doesn't really have anything to do with any of us, but it's kind of like some shops, some shops do it one way and some shops do it another way. It's like, how much ink do you add into your screen? Cause like we're a shop that like adds, we don't add a ton of ink into our screen. I feel like we stop the press. I don't know, every 50 shirts or something and add more ink in or a hundred shirts and add more ink in because of the fact that we don't want to add so much that, and I think somebody told me this once, like the science behind it 
uh, is, and this wasn't my method, but it just ended up working out for me, was if you add too much ink, it rolls too much and doesn't go into the screen. It just kind of like ends up rolling itself too much. Hmm. Um, But the other part of it was, I feel like if you put so much ink in, you're getting ink everywhere. Like ink's climbing up your squeegee blade or it's getting thrown on the back of your frame or just anything like some people are like i'm doing a thousand shirts here's a thousand shirts worth of ink in the one screen i've seen that before too (laughs) i've seen that before literally i don't get it it's too heavy even for the screen i mean that's a lot of weight once you you load in you know half gallon of ink into your your i see people do that all the time where they're just like here's a gallon i I don't even think it's a shop to shop uh variants i think it's press to press you know press operator press operator i wish i could say that oh you know here's the way we run each here's the way we run our shop. We put X amount mm-hmm. of ink in for this or whatever, but it's press operator. I, you know, some of those fundamentals, um, I, I, I go a- around and around sometimes like, oh, we should do everything the same way. You know, like we should load this much ink in or, or whatever it might be. Yeah. The same way on every press and teach that method. But sometimes it's, uh, sometimes people work faster at doing it their way. You know, well, there's always that press operator them. too that's like, fuck him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's true. Well, like you said, so if you only load, if you're loading at every 50 shirts and you have 250 shirts to print, well, you're going to stop five times, mm-hmm. you know? And so there's, there's time wasted in stopping, or is it better to load too much in and then just trash your screen and then spend extra time cleaning it? I don't know. Right, you know exactly. Is it still it's the same amount of time? The catch 22, I feel like. With Waterbase, I don't know. It works the same way. I mean, obviously you're not loading in so much that it's climbing up the back. Of the squeegee no i, I mean i put happen. a fair amount of ink in the screen but not so much to the point where it's i mean i'm not putting a half gallon of ink in the screen right. you know what i mean but you also want to make sure that you have enough ink in the screen to where it's flooding every time right i mean i like to have like a really thick flood on all of my screens so enough to be able to do that i mean maybe like around a quart just depending on the ink deposit because that's the other thing too is i do a lot of the prints that i do are like really really large and they have a tendency to have a really heavy ink deposit. So just depending on what the artwork is will dictate how much ink I'm putting in the screens. But I did learn that lesson the hard way when I was printing manually, doing like six color designs, overloading the screens, and then lifting the heads up. And then the ink just like pours down the back of the screen. And it's like all over the floor. And then I have to spend however much time cleaning them all up. So it's like, now I'm a little bit more careful. And obviously with an auto, you don't have that problem, but I still don't want ink like flinging all over the place when I'm printing, right. you know what I mean? Well, it's like we we use, I can't, what are they, 32 ounce cups for our ink. So when we're mixing uh, like a Pantone, cause we mix every Pantone, we're mixing a thousand grams at a time. So we can't put too much ink in the screen because we only have a thousand grams to work with regardless. Right. You know what I mean? So like if he takes that 32 ounce cup or whatever and puts the whole thing in, like that's the max I would say to put in there anyway. But it's rare that he's putting the whole thing in either. So I don't know. I just get people every once in a while on Instagram or whatever that see a video and they're like, how do you keep your squeegees and flow bars so clean? It's like, cause I'm not using fucking so much ink that it's splattering everywhere. Right. Um, Phil, uh, Phil, what kind of screens are you running? Uh, I use static frames right now. Uh, with S mesh. Um, but I would like to switch to rollers or some kind of retentionable system eventually. Just haven't done it yet. We've both, de- I mean, we've had, this is the great debate, I guess we could call it at this point. It's one of them. Like what it's screens one of them. Use. <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. we both decided to stick with statics though. 
for it's just kind of like what we do and what we're into. I well, guess. particularly so with S mesh or a thin thread, we don't use S. Uh, we use a Saudi uh, hydro, but it's same thing. But you can only stretch that with so many newtons. So the advantage, I mean, would on, the only advantage would be is to be able to restretch it. You know, if it gets um, um, if you lose tension. But I, I feel like um, that our hydro pops before. And we're going to tear our hydro, it seems like, before it relaxes too much. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's the way. And we're pretty general. We've gotten very good. Bless you. Are you getting ready to sneeze? I was getting ready to cough, but I was trying to mute it first. <laughs> I was trying to be nice. I'm like, the problem um, was is I, I couldn't remember where mute on this was. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> that's the worst. There it is. Um, but we, hey. um, we've gotten really, you know, a lot better. We don't pop screens. Um, I would say for every screen that tears, we only are there present like a third of the time. Otherwise, it, you'll, it'll just tear sitting on the floor. You know what I mean? Because it's, <laughs> it's probably already got something going on with it. You just can't see it. And then it'll just tear, you know, for whatever reason right. it does. Um, we've tear some in the, in, on press sometimes. Um, it's, usually our, it's usually our fault though. I mean, we've, Maybe we're, it's in a really long print run and we've got too much pressure or whatever it is. But um, I, I asked Frank, I said, what's the, what's the standard um, life or what's the standard tear? And we, we, he had this giant calculus formula and we plugged it all in and I was under that number. So we're better than average at our shop as far as tearing, tearing thin thread. Way to strive. Yeah, yeah. Um, slightly better than average. I thought it was, I thought you'd be impressed, but, <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, so I, I really love the, I really love, um, especially if you're printing, I mean, water base, that's the answer for sure. Right. Um, so I want to get into discharge more and, um, it came up on the last podcast or, or maybe it was the one before. And I know you said, um, you use CCI, CCI is also for discharge or is that just water base? Uh, they do discharge and water base. I think they have plastisol too, actually. Right. Um, well, do you have any, um, what's like one tip or, or hack, uh, when it comes to discharge that you could share? Uh, for discharge, I would say when it comes to standalone white prints, something that I learned the hard way was that standalone white discharge does not, is not good straight out of the bucket. Like, if you try to use it straight out of the bucket without adding anything to it, it's really brittle and it will crack and it just doesn't penetrate the cotton enough. Um, so what I do is I add water retarder and uh, CCI U base white into all of my standalone white. So it so makes you're it adding, like, you're adding U base into your regular white. Yes. Hmm. You're, you're anywhere from 10 to 20% by weight. Your regular water-based white. No, no, discharge white. So, so discharge white is different than U-base because U-base is specifically meant for underbasing to put right. like plastisol on it's, top. It's it's white, but it's lower pigment load. Right, because the, the pigment load is the problem. The pigment, like the higher the pigment load, the less plastisol wants to adhere to it. Yeah, or or so, even any like if you have like a water-based top color, color and you try top. to use like D white as the base. Um, it doesn't really adhere to it very well, or it right. certainly doesn't make it through the wash very many times. Right. So you're, you're adding 10% U base to your white, how much water are you 10 adding? to 20, uh, 5% by weight with 5% retarder. 
And I, it kind of like, it kind of varies a little bit, like depending on the design, depending on how detailed the design is, depending on how, uh, how big the ink deposit is, you know? So. And you science to this on, on your own that, you know, you formulated it and like trial and aired it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've heard of other people adding U base into their white. So I decided to give it a shot and I tried like different percentages with some varying designs and just sort of picked like a range of what percentages I wanted to add of water, U-base and retarder all by weight based on what the design is. Right. Um, I think honestly, we've done that before where we've added U-base into uh, D-white, but I think it was because of the fact that I think our D-white was getting a little old and it Mm -hmm. was like, it was super thick. So I think I was like, oh, I'll just add U-Base to this to like right. thin it up a little bit. But I was not sciencing anything. Like it was, was accidental, like, but it, it yeah, worked out. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'll do this to like thin it up a little bit. But. Yeah. I mean, my thing with D-White is like, even if you just put like some retarder and uh, some water in it, I, I noticed with designs that are really, really detailed, I was getting like some ghosting of like the white in between, like in the details where it should be like the color of the shirt obviously and i've noticed that ubase has like it the lines on you when you print ubase straight it's like it's really crisp so um you know i heard of other people doing that and i just i just combine them you know we've been using ubase a lot like just as our discharge white like it depends I on the use customer. I use it a lot again. too. Yeah. When I want yeah. like a bone white, I definitely right. go for it. We always tell the customer just in general, like, Hey, if we're going to discharge this, like it's not going to be like super bright white. It's going to be like, you know, slightly dulled out white or an ivory or depending on what right. garment is going on. Um, and we've just been buying fives of U base and like we have discharge white. Like we have, we have a five of discharge white and a five of U base and we use way more U base than we use of discharge white. Mm. So, so yeah, it's good to I know that them, you mix the two. Yeah, I keep them both on hand, and and also obviously mixing white. But so those are the three that I keep on hand all the time: is mixing right. white, U base, and D white. Right. And you can mix a little bit of D white into the U base when you're under basing, but like I've done that before, and I I try to avoid it just because I'm like so paranoid about yeah. the load. It's like. I, it, it can look good when it comes out of the dryer, but like that doesn't mean anything. Customer gets you know? it and everything falls off. Yeah. That's the last thing I want. That's and the scariest like, thing ever. I feel like U base is like vibrant enough in and of itself <laughs> right. when you're printing top colors that it's like, it's just not needed to add a little bit of D white into it. Yeah. In my opinion. And this is a discussion like me and Andy have had is kind of like, it's just giving that customer like trying not to give them like a super bulletproof print. If you're doing just plastisol prints and somebody has a six or an eight color or whatever, like you don't want to have it so thick. So we use the U base by itself as the white in the design and the under base. Mm-hmm. So we're just printing U base and then we're putting all the plastisol on top. But like I said, I want to fucking make sure that shit is cured because oh, yeah, I do 100%. not want I do not want the customer to get it and like have, I'll be like, Oh, all the inks falling off or it's, yeah. That's the kind of shit that I lose sleep over. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And they don't understand either. The customer doesn't understand like the science or what you're trying to do. They're just looking at it as like, you must be bad at printing because all the shit. (laughs) Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Like they don't know. Totally. For sure. Um, So you definitely want to like figure that out. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier, Um, you, uh, you were looking at, 
at building or buying a building. Yes. You have a lease now and it's, it's coming. I mean, it's only for so much longer and then you're going to build a building or buy a building and the building, is it going to be more space? Yeah, for sure. I'm at just under 2000 square feet right now. And I'm like totally packed. Like when we get like a bunch of jobs in and there's a bunch of boxes here, there's like nowhere to move. You can't really stage any of the jobs. So, um, I want at least double that. Um, and we're, we're looking at buying and building. So we're looking at land and we're looking at buildings. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. It's kind of tough right now in Pittsburgh, all the buildings that are like available right now are all really shitty. So just depends. Do you, do you have the ability to build something like more in like a rural area than in the city? Uh, yeah, kind of. Um, but I also like, I live in the city and like our two part-time employees also live in the city. So like within reason, like, I'm not going to like, I mean, I'll drive as far away. Like right, I'll, I'll drive, an hour, I'll drive two hours cause it's my shop. You know what I mean? But yeah. like, I can't legitimately expect somebody or a group of people to drive an hour or two just to like work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So within reason, I mean, we're kind of looking all over, but it's, uh, it's a little bleak out there right now as far as stuff that's available, but you know, are there any, you should go next door to a venue or, or, or another record label that's in your town, like, you know, building on the, well, theater. we have shows at our shop, so we are the venue. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. Well, Hey, and then that's why you need more space too. You, you need yeah, to build exactly. out uh, stuff for a stage. Yeah, absolutely. We've, um, we've, we've always thought about doing that too, but like as I get older and I'm not in bands anymore, I just think of like how kids were when we did shows when we were younger, like jumping off of shit or fucking breaking stuff for no reason, just to be an asshole. And I'm like, I don't want them here. Like somebody's going to break something. I spent a lot of money on. I'm just turning into a, a grumpy old man. Basically. That's what it is. People are pretty chill when we have shows here. Um, we've only had a couple, we had to cancel some obviously, but, uh, the ones that we've had, they've been, they've been pretty chill. I've had no mm-hmm. complaints. Cause I was worried about that too, where it's like, Oh my God, there's gonna be all these fucking people in here and who knows. Jumping off of your stuff. press or fucking yeah, jumping yeah. off of a pallet or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's rough. <clears throat> all right. So, uh, we have an Inksoft question and, um, and this is a big one. So, <laughs> so when it comes to Mac and cheese, uh, do you use the powder milk and butter or do you do it wrong? And go with the deluxe squeezable fake. The packet of fake cheese. Packet of fake cheese. Packet of fake cheese for sure. Packet of fake cheese. We were <laughs> he, didn't even, he didn't even bat an eye at that. He was like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you paupers and you're. Probably because I said, or do you do it wrong? He wanted to go against me. So yeah, it's like, the, <laughs> what, what percent of, we were talking about this earlier, like what percent of, the, of that packet is actually cheese? What do you think? What's your guess? Like real cheese versus chemical. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent chemical. None of it's real. <laughs> That's There's why I said I said point oh two actual cheese. Like the Velveeta. Not even too? that. Not even that. Yeah. No, well, no, they no, have to. They have to put some real cheese in it so that it says made with real cheese, so they can put that on the package. <laughs> Fuck that. They're lying. It's none of it's real. <laughs> uh, like, Dylan. Yeah. What's your answer? I said 0.02. Oh. oh, no, no. I mean, what do you choose? Do you choose the powder? What do I choose? Or do you just go with Brussels sprouts? Mm, 
Well, I prefer, <laughs> yeah, I prefer homemade mac and cheese, but. Oh yeah, right. Well, well everybody I, does, but if you have the choice between the two. If I had the one. choice between the two, I would definitely go with the packet deluxe for sure. Yeah, I was a latchkey kid. So I made mac and cheese would probably save my life. That was my dinner thousands of times. Like that's what I knew how, that was the first thing I ever knew how to make. It's I didn't even, like, I didn't even have to measure, you know, how this like, it takes a, uh, you know, a quarter cup of milk and two tablespoons, whatever it is. Boom. I just cut it. I don't even, I even know what it takes. That's why I, I just look at it and then just cut off the butter and pour the milk. Direct, I take the milk to, and pour it directly in the pot. I don't even measure. <laughs> yeah. That's how so many times I've made it. Yeah. And then the Joanne, funny. she's all measuring everything perfectly all the time now. <laughs> and um, I let her she wants it to it be, because, she wants it to be consistent. It's still pretty good. Yeah. So I remember when I was a kid, my dad, uh, he thought he had this fucking great hack, but it kind of screwed us over with like, he would always make popcorn and he would fucking steal, like open the mac and cheese container take the cheese packet out and put the <laughs> cheese on the popcorn. But then when you're fucking hungry and there's nothing to eat in the house, you go to find mac and cheese and it's just fucking noodles. No cheese at all. Yeah, you know what's the worst too is that when you go to make the mac and cheese and you don't have any milk and so you just use water and the butter. <laughs> or you don't have any butter and so it's just all milk so or one of those two. You still gotta, you still, you still eat it. Still yeah. okay. That, Still mac that's and cheese. A, that's like, uh, <laughs> that's like, uh, what is it? Uh, Chris always mentions it here where, uh, I think it's Friday, the movie Friday where like he puts, uh, he gets like cereal or whatever. And he's like bitching about their no milk or whatever. And he's like, put water on that shit. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the worst too. Is like when you pour a whole bowl of cereal and you go to get milk out of the fridge and there's no milk or it's bad. And you're like, ah, <laughs> Yeah. You just gotta eat it dry, man. You can't put water on cereal. <laughs> That's fucked up. That is fucked up. <laughs> you have Do any you questions have like for a, us? Were yeah. you gonna ask that same thing? Yes, I was. All right, we're on the same page here. <laughs> um, okay, I got a question for you guys. I wrote down a few actually because I, I didn't want to forget them. Great. So I've heard you guys ask, uh, "What's your favorite piece of equipment?" Right? But what's your least favorite piece of equipment that you've ever had, current or not? Good question. Yeah, that's good. You go first. No, you go first. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Worst piece oh, of equipment. Oh, I think I might have it. Well, I think that could go either way, but I feel like buying, not knowing, just being like ignorant to the fact of what I should have been doing. I think just like buying a shitty used piece of equipment that I didn't do enough research on which was probably us buying our first auto auto. Uh, it was a precision oval. And I think back then it was just like anything we could scrape together to be like, Oh, we're going to get an auto. And like, we're going to, we're going to use this for like, it's funny cause we should have like thought it out and been like, we're going to get an auto that's actually going to help us and do all these other things. It got to the point where there was an auto available for what we could pay. And we were like talking ourselves into it, even though there was like 30 red flags to be like, don't buy this fucking thing. Yeah. I did the exact same thing where it was basically like, you know what I mean? Somebody would be like, you could buy that press, but like it has no registration. And you're like, well, it would help us do a lot of like one colors faster. You know what I mean? It's like, we kept yeah. talking <laughs> ourselves into it. Or we're like, it's, let's just still get it. Let's just still get it. 
I think we ran maybe, maybe two jobs on that press. And we were like, this thing's a fucking death trap. Like it never worked. Um, and what we ended up doing is literally paying a guy to come in and cut it up with a bandsaw or like a metal saw and fucking it went to the scrapyard. Like that's how awesome that press. There was no even no <laughs> possibility of selling it. Like no, nobody. I did tried. you even try put, to sell it? Yeah. I put it on couldn't, Craigslist. You couldn't like it. You couldn't like in, in good conscience sell it. Yeah, ethically. Right. Well, that's my problem. Is, <laughs> that's my problem with anything. Like I have stuff here and there, like in my life that I could sell. But the reason why I'm selling it is because I don't like it or something's wrong with it. And then I always feel bad. And I'm like, I can't sell this because I don't want somebody to buy it and then end up being like, why the fuck did I buy this? Or like, but what I, if that precision oval was someone's like favorite press? Like they were like, right. I want this press. This is my favorite press. I need to have this. <laughs> yeah. They had arthritis think. and they were tired of printing manually. And they're like, I don't there care what it is. I don't just, think that. Just, yeah. Well, when I, it. when I sold my javelin, the guy that bought my javelin was like, this is my favorite press. I'm so psyched. And I was like, Hey man, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. You're like, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. There you that's go. actually, that's actually how I met, how I met Ron. Ron oh, yeah. drove up from Pennsylvania to look at that press. And then we talked about it. And I was like, like, while he was here, we talked about how I was just like, I don't know if you should buy this. <laughs> like I was talking him out of buying it. And I was just like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if this would be right for you. And then we ended up talking and then we became friends. And then like I gained, if anything, I gained a really good friend out of that whole scenario. But that's about. And you learned a really valuable lesson too. Don't buy huge pieces of shit. Yeah, exactly. My uh, my least favorite uh, piece of equipment is a toss up between uh, uh, what what's it called? Like a um, an auto pre treater or just a pre treater for my our DTG machine because uh, that thing was it was hell. Um, held a clean. You lost and, me at DTG. Right, I know. <laughs> um, but. But that was, was, but I don't think it was that. I think really the the piece of equipment I hated the most was we used to do a lot of numbers for this, for sports organizations. We don't do that anymore, but we used to. And I had bought this press that is. Oh, a numbers press? Yeah. Well, it was, and it was like the the kind that it was, it had a giant screen that went from zero to nine. And you slid The Vastex one where you slide it or whatever? I guess. I don't know who made it, but it was like zero, one, two, three, all the way to nine. And you slid this pallet around. And the the bummer about it is, is you had, I think we had two of those screens. One was for the fill and one was for the outline. And then you had to change color, you know, like let's say you changed colors instead of white numbers, they wanted royal. So you have to clean that screen and, and like you clean and clean and there's no way for us, it was so giant, there was no way for us to code it and then re-expose it. So you have to get buy another one or have them do it. You know what I mean? See, now this right, is one of those things. pre-burned, right? It does. Yeah. yeah. It came pre-burned and you, and you can't, and it's like the, whatever they use on it is it's not reclaimable. Yep. I guess that's what it was. Cause I, it, it, and they do that, I think because they don't want it to break down for a really long time. They use something on it and yeah. uh, cause you have to clean it, you know, a hundred times and it was a total brutal bitch to clean. And then it does break down and then you can't make another one. You have to buy it. I hated it. Right. I hated printing numbers too. I hated it. Like it was yeah, so, so I, I, I have never, I've never printed a number and it's like, I know it was probably a huge deal at the time, but now it's like, you can go on fucking stalls and buy a name <laughs> and a number for like $2. Yeah, well, part of that is, is some people don't want 
vinyl numbers. You know what I mean? They they just don't want it. But well, you're right now. To fucking go to hell. <laughs> now, uh, uh, and but I think now though they have the you know the vinyl that's that's way it's basically uh, like it feels almost the same way. And they also have printed numbers. Yeah, you're right. You can buy yeah. already screen printed numbers. But that's yeah. the I've had yeah, to pick basically, one. That's like we don't machine. do a lot of that at all. But we definitely get like mm-hmm. schools and shit that are like, hey, I need or a customer who decided. Like it has a company, but decided to have a company softball team. Yeah, softball team. And they're like, hey, I need, you know, 40 shirts, but I want to do names and numbers on the back. It's like, dude, so easy to go on. And this is a plug for fucking stalls. But it's like so easy to go on there and just literally type in all the numbers you need, type in the names. And it's like two bucks total, like per thing. And you charge the customer like five or six bucks or something to put it on. And so like... It's a no-brainer. Like you get well, the after, box already weeded, done. After that, I decided that, and I get it. There's a lot of a lot of money to be made, and a lot of companies that do athletic, you know, that do team stuff. But I decided that's not what the kind of screen printer I wanted to be, and so um, I got rid so, of it, sold it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, I mean, it worked. Um, I I felt morally okay about selling it. <laughs> it worked great. If that's like if all day long you want to print, if you want to screen print numbers, if that's your thing, if you do, if you're a uniform company, then it works. It's a good press. But that's not what I want to do. I wanted to get an auto, and I wanted to print graphic tees, and so got out of that. That was a good yep. question. What yep, else you got? Question. Uh, if you guys could give one piece of advice to any print shop of any size, what would it be, and why? Mm-hmm. He's got the gems. I like this. Why don't we do that? Why don't we do that from now on? Why don't we just have guests that just ask us questions and we just, <laughs> or we could have Phil write all the questions. This is good. Uh-huh. I can ghost write this podcast. For you guys <laughs> if you want. Please. Can we have an intro like the old ghost writer? What's that? I don't know. Do you guys remember that? I don't ghost know what that is. Show? I have no uh-huh. idea what that is. Oh, God, never mind. We're not as old as you. Fuck you guys. <laughs> um, what I forgot what the question one, was. One piece of advice, <laughs> if you could only give, if you only have one piece, right? Or one... Wh- one yeah, piece re- of advice. Okay, if you could give one piece of advice to any shop, regardless no the of size. the size, what would it be and why? Mm. Go, Andy. You go first. I went first last time. The first thing that comes to mind, and there's so much, right? But the first thing that comes to mind is... Uh, Oh, there's two, uh, now, now I'm thinking of something else. Oh, God. Just go right off the cuff. Just the first Come thing on. that you think of. Because the first thing that you think of is probably going to be the best thing. Right. Okay. Um, I would say bigger isn't better. I would say that, you know, because when I first started, I thought that that's, I was chasing that. Like I was chasing, uh, we're going to be, who's the, who's the biggest screen printer in America? That's cause I'm coming for you. You know, like that's, that's what our shop's going to be about. But I think as you go down that road, you realize that, um, that, well, for one, just because you're bigger, doesn't mean you're making more money. Um, you could have 10 autos with a hundred employees, um, and, and make nothing. You know, so, so it's not bad. And I, I've soon realized that I was doing this because I really liked screen printing and, uh, and, and bigger just meant a lot more headaches. And I was really happy and am really happy at the size I'm at right now. Like this is it. So this is as big as, as we'll ever be with our, with our 
square footage. And I mean, maybe there'll be a couple more people, but, but that's it. Like, I think that um, I wouldn't want to lose the, the culture. I think at some point um, you're going to lose that culture of, uh, of, of a small business or a small size shop. And, and so uh, be happy. So wherever you're at and along the way, whatever, if you're one year old or three year old or five year old, 10 years old, wherever you're at, um, um, sometimes people, sometimes even people downsize. Like I, I know of, of shops that said, Hey, we've got, we have too many presses, too many people. And even with this COVID thing, it forced them to downsize and they never added back as many people. You're know, like, Hey, we're getting just as much stuff done with less people. And we, we're going to take less space and all that stuff. So, so yeah, I mean, bigger isn't better. I would say that, um, find a spot that you can pay your bills, buy some mac and cheese and not work, <laughs> not work 90% of the time. Do, do go home and, 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 uh, like today we, I went on a walk in our, we went on this, um, uh, a walk in our old neighborhood. So it's kind of nostalgic and we got married down there at this park and everything. And we actually had time to do that. And I wasn't fucking here printing shirts. So yeah. Um, I went on a walk today too. It was nice. Yeah. Good. Yeah, it was beautiful here. I don't know what it was like in Pittsburgh. It was really nice today, actually. It was great. Good. Yeah. So that's my must be my piece of advice. I had so many though. I was getting ready to go with what. What do you got, Dylan? Uh, well, one that resonates with me was just kind of like don't, which is kind of ties into what you were saying. It's just like don't get into a ton of debt to grow your company. Like I feel like you should grow with your company. You shouldn't you shouldn't come into this with, and I mean, you should have ambition and you should have like drive to, to grow your business, but you shouldn't necessarily try to try to jump ahead. You shouldn't be like, all right, well, I'm going to go out and get a loan for a half a million dollars to buy like two autos and a dryer. And then I'm going to have to hire like 15 people. It's like, you don't have the work to support that. I feel like there's a lot of people who are just like, want to get to that next thing. They want to get to the next thing when really you should just take the money you have and then buy something better. But the other thing too, the other side of that is like, don't, don't do what I did and don't just try to buy like the cheapest next thing for you to get to that next point. Cause you're going to have a ton of headaches with that. Like definitely I found out in this industry is you get what you pay for, for sure. Like with That's equipment, so with equipment, with inks, with anything. And the, the, the funny part about it is a lot of this doesn't necessarily matter at all to the customer. Like the customer doesn't care what equipment you have. They don't care. Like obviously if it makes them a product, like a certain product, but like as far as presses and stuff, it's more do what's smart for you to get efficient to do what Andy said. So like basically for us, it was like buy the best equipment we can get make the shop the most efficient we can get and have no debt. So like we get to keep our core values. We have our company culture. We have badass equipment that makes awesome prints and we buy the best quality inks. We're always striving to get like the best quality of whatever we can get because not to just say like we have the best quality, everything. It just makes it so much easier for, you as an owner and for your employees to have everything run as smoothly as possible. Like we're not, I'm not in the office looking at it as an owner of like, well, I could go with this ink. Uh, I could go with this like fucking cheap ass ink and I'll make like an extra X amount of cents per print. I'm looking at it as 
an owner of like, I'm going to get the best ink possible because I don't want to get that call from a customer saying my ink washed off or, you know, the print looks like fucking 20 grit sandpaper or whatever. It's that's why you buy the best you can get is so that you have super happy customers because they're getting the best possible product and your employees are happy because it's not, it's giving them, not giving them headaches all day. Um, and stuff like that. And I feel like, I feel like if you have the drive and you have niche markets to get into that you believe in and you buy things when you can afford them, you can be a, an awesome screen printing shop. Like there's hands down, you can do that. You can achieve that. You just need to just do it for as long as it takes. Don't try to like jump ahead. That's kind of, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's, that's exactly how I feel too. I mean, if you're not loving what you're doing, no matter what you're doing, like it's going to be, it's just going to be another job anyway. So it's like, you know, that's the, for me, the first and foremost thing is you have to love screen printing. If you want to be a screen printer, you know? And my thing, my thing is, is like when I first started this company, I was at another print shop that had obviously more stuff than I was going to have when I started this. Um, but I finally just now I'm getting to the point where I, as an owner, are looking back at stuff and I'm like, I'm really happy with where I'm at right now. But the truth of it is, is it took me 10, 11 years to get here. I right. didn't, I didn't strive to have what I have right now. Like when I was two years into business, like it just wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. So like, like I said, you get to where you are and you look back and you're like, like I earned everything we have here. Like it took a long time, but we have it and it's ours and it's paid for. And I don't I think that's, I think that's a headaches. huge part of, um, part of running a business is the, just the patience because, you know, you start off, I saw somebody in a group, they were, they posted something about, you know, how do you bust a hundred thousand in annual sales? How do I get through that, you know, break through a hundred. And uh, my first, I didn't talk to them, but my first question would be like, how long have you been doing it? Because it's like a snowball effect. So if you're doing all those things you just said, if you're, you know, buying the best ink, if you're buying the best screens, if you're making sure your prints are the best and all these things, and you're taking care of your culture and, you know, your team, then, then, um, then you just, you just go and you do that every day, repeat it year after year. And pretty soon, you know, it, it just grows and it is the snowball effect, you know, so much so that we, we turn away business now, sort of like what Phil was saying, you know, he's not going to print for, he's not desperate, you know, we're not desperate and we're not going to print just anything because we're trying to make, you know, a hundred dollars. And so, um, I think though, um, I remember at times being desperate. I remember opening and being, Oh my gosh, you know, I'd print just about anything and I'd shoot myself in the foot sometimes over it. You know, like I, I took on a job. Like nine times out of 10, you end up you end up shooting yourself in the foot when you take a job like that. Right. Like, right. yeah. Anytime I've ever taken a job that my first instinct was to turn it away. I'm always like, fuck, why did I take this job? <laughs> right. And it, it's yeah. not even that the job itself, it's hard. It's that the, the things that come too. along with the, the cut, cu- maybe the customer is hard to deal with, or maybe it's just something that I'm not enjoying doing, or like, maybe it's just something that I don't normally do. And I just, like, maybe I was just in a mood to say yes to somebody, you know what right. I mean? I got an email that an email came into my inbox at the right time. And I was like, yeah, I'll take this job. You know what I mean? Right. And then later on, I'm like, why the fuck did I do that? That's right. a total mistake. I, I think like the number one question that a lot of smaller shops always ask like, or always want to ask a bigger shop, not to say like we're a big shop, but like, they're always like, like you were saying, like how, 
how do you get that client or how do you get to a certain level of sales and all this other stuff? And it's like, dude, there's no fucking like, there's a million people out there that would try to sell you a book or a product and be like, read my thing and I'll show you all the secrets to screen printing. It's like, dude, it's a hundred percent in who you know and like building relationships. Totally. I totally agree. Then there's it's, no right or wrong answer. You know there's what I mean? no like, secret. There's no like, yeah. I use this formula and I immediately work with Nike or I immediately right. worked with this famous person. It's like, I mean, you have to first and foremost be a good screen printer and then you yeah. have to like know people that you can get involved with in whatever niche you want to be involved with. Right. You know what I mean? And just kind of build good, you have to be good with people. You have to build good relationships with people. Right. You know what like I mean? It might but, take, it might take five or six years of just doing like, you know, like local metal bands or something. And then eventually you build up a reputation with them. And then so-and-so knows somebody who knows somebody who's in this bigger band. Right. And I mean, that's more, that's more or less, that's more or less what I did. I mean, I was right, printing exactly. my garage for like a few years, like just doing like freelance work, you know what I mean? And then I just got to a point where I was like, all right, I'm ready to do this full time. Like I, I have enough customers now. Like I could just, I could just do it. Like, I'm just going to chance it. You have to be willing to take a risk. Right, too. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're not, I didn't go into it with like all these like sick customers. Like I went into it with like a couple of really good customers and I just chanced it and I just made it work. Right. You know, the biggest thing is just getting out there and like being, being willing to like talk to new people. Like don't just be like a, you know, closeting yourself and be like, I'll just wait for stuff to come in. Like it doesn't work that way. Like, right. You have to like talk to new people. And it's not forcing yourself either. It's just kind of like, you know, when you have the opportunity, talk to a business owner or, you know, shoot the shit with somebody new or get on social media. Like for me, social media is the biggest thing. Like, because I've been doing it forever. It's just kind of like in a niche, you talk to a certain person and then you build a relationship and you're like, you talk about other things. And then when screen printing comes up, you're there and you're the guy to talk to like right. don't hit them immediately with like, I want to print your stuff. How can but I don't print try your stuff? And, don't try and sell them. Right. That's right. what I mean. It's not like, yeah, that's it's a not huge like, turn off for how do people. I get it? No one wants to be sold. You know what I mean? Right. But like I said, like you could be in a niche and be like, say you like, I don't know, whatever, any Sasquatch. kind of niche. Yeah. Sasquatch. Okay. So you like Sasquatch. <laughs> so I, so I say I personally like Sasquatch and I'm on Instagram and I follow all these different like Sasquatch following groups and all this other shit. Like I'll already be commenting. I'll already be liking their things. And then eventually they see me all the time, constantly talking to them. And then when something comes up and they're like, Hey, we need shirts for this fucking truck. We're going to go do to find Sasquatch. Uh, you immediately are the guy they think of, or you pop into that conversation and be like, Hey, I would love to do these for you if you want. Like it's your idea if you want to work with me, but I'm here if you need me. And then it's like, right. You're no, you're absolutely right then you have that in. It's not like a, it's not like a a strategy all along. Like you're playing the long game and commenting on things and you're like, fucking hate these people, but I really want their business. um, Well, uh, it also helps when, when you have a niche that you're interested in. Like if you're like, like for me, like I go to shows, I play in bands. So like I'm already interested in that thing. So like the people there, like at least locally, like they know that I'm the guy that prints shirts. So they like, you know, if they want shirts, they're, they're going to like hit me up about it or like, you know, if I see that they, like you said, if someone's like, Oh yeah, we wanted shirts for this thing then I'm going to be like, Hey, what's up? I print shirts. I would love to work with you. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> I like there was shirts. this, um, there was this taco place that was getting ready to open 
um, about a couple years ago in St. Louis. And before they even got open while they were um, building it out, they got broken into and it, w- it made the news and we saw it. And uh, so we sent down, uh, I think it was like 25 or 50 t-shirts to them that said Grand Theft Taco on it. <laughs> and I uh, just gave them to them and said, hey, you know, you're a local place uh, and we want to support you guys. And here's some shirts to, to make light of it. And because you wanted to bring, spend some positivity to it. And then they loved it. You know, we did it because we wanted, because they're, well, we know what it's like to start out and then you got broken into, well, that sucks. And so anyway, um, you know, we do stuff like that too. And it's fun and it's good for the community. And also uh, turns out to be um, a customer then, you know, so yeah. stuff like that too. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the biggest thing is just being a real person. Like, yeah just talk to people like you would want to be talked to. Like right. you got to think about it you're like, in your head. You're thinking about like, how do I do this? How do I do this? Like, Oh, I, I need to write this thing to them. And it's like, realistically, like when you look at your own inbox in the morning, like how quickly do you delete those emails that are instantly salesy? You know what I mean? All like you, you could just look at the subject or in Google, it shows you like the first sentence of the email. I just look at it and I'm like, I would like to talk to you about blah, blah. And it's like, mm, delete. Like, I don't even read past like five words. You know what I mean? It's like, nobody wants that shit. Like, stop doing that. Um, yeah. yeah, that's it. Anything else? Oh, yeah. Is that, that were, were those the questions? We got it. Those are the questions. I have one more, actually. You want one more? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay, cool. How do you guys handle stress of being in a screen printing shop? Whether that be through spoilage or just working on a job that's, really difficult. Like if you kind of hit like a brick wall in a sense, how do you handle that? Heroin. <laughs> That's a great answer. I mean. <laughs> okay. Andy, your turn. Why am I always first? <laughs> I said heroin. I answered. Oh, uh, <laughs> um, uh, well, um, I, I guess I'll go. Yeah. 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 What do you, what do you got? Uh, I don't. <laughs> and you don't what? Truth. You don't. That's the truth. Like I don't. just don't, there's no real way to deal with it, I guess, is I guess the biggest thing as an owner is to try to not have to put yourself in those situations. Like my goal as an owner is to find systems and processes to make things as efficient as possible so that I don't have as many of those problems. Because if you're an unorganized shop and like shit's going wrong all the time, it's way more stressful because you're constantly getting yelled at by your employees. You're constantly getting yelled at by customers. Um, and then as soon as you organize shit and make things flow, it's like so good. Like your stress levels go way down. And like first, well, let's say though, let's not to interrupt you. Sorry. Yeah, but like, ahead. let's just say like something is like totally out of your control. Like, yeah. like one day here, like we had, uh, so we have people up on the second floor and they, uh, they were mopping the floor, mopping the floor. They just dumped a big bucket of water on the floor and all this water just like rained down on our brand new three phase electrical box and I had like all this shit lined up that I was like I was like ready to do it like I came into the shop and I'm like all right I'm gonna like this is gonna be a good day and like that was the day that I had so like maybe not necessarily like spoilage or something that can be fixed by processes like I'm talking about more so like like acts of God like the the on (laughs) yeah yeah forces of nature that just like exist just to like fuck your shop well that's how do you handle that that's honestly every single day (laughs) no like no joke there is there's just stuff that happens like every day I come into the shop thinking like 
I've got this, this, and this to do today. Like, I'm just going to sit down and do that. And then the first fucking thing, like, as soon as I sit down at my desk and I start going in and employees start coming in, somebody will come to me and be like, pressure washers on fire. Or, you know what I mean? It's just like shit like that happens every single day. Like yeah. something on press happens and you have to go out and figure it out. And then a customer walks in the door that wants to talk to you for four hours. And then like all this other stuff. I feel like it's just, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer for that is. Honestly, like you just kind of deal with it. I eat my feelings. Um <laughs> Uh, I don't sleep good. <laughs> you want to talk real life, dude. That's real life. Like in all honesty, like, like I'm fucking not, I don't eat healthy, which is probably half of the fact of like when something's pissing me off, I'm like, Oh, I can go have a delicious meal and feel better. Um, I, my brain runs constantly and I'm constantly like looking things up or researching things about screen printing or whatever and that keeps me up at night because i'll be into it and i don't want to stop and i stay up late um it's just it's just the way it is dude like that's if you're into it that's what it is like eventually i'm sure you figure something out and get to a certain work-life balance but my path is not there yet i'm still just fucking dealing with it um I think I know what you're, I know exactly what you're, what you're talking about because um, I certainly have bad days here and it, I used to react. I used to overreact actually. Um, not all the time. I mean, usually took, usually was like until the seventh or eighth thing in a row that was horrible that I would just overreact. <laughs> but, um, but I heard a quote recently and it was, um, it goes like leading by example isn't the best way to lead. That's the only way to lead. Why'd you throw your hands up? I was doing the Zen thing because you're oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. giving me some wisdom. <laughs> so, here's, I, so, so I think it's a great quote. Leading by example isn't the best way to lead. It's, it's the only way to lead. And so I've got 20 some people here that if I'm going to go and be a hothead because something went wrong every single time, then then I guess that's how it's supposed to go here, right? So if something goes wrong, we're all just going to fucking throw our hands up in the air or kick something or throw something or be pissed or yell at my coworker. And so um, it's not how uh, we want to be. And, and I think I want to have an environment here that everybody wants to come to work here. And it's stressful, let's face it. I mean, every single department, I don't know that it, there's one that's more stressful, stressed out than the other. I mean, maybe on a, on a given day, customer service is more stressed because, I don't know, there's something going wrong there. Or there's, they're getting um, hammered with orders. But then that wave that just hit them is going to make it back to production and maybe, maybe they're having a, a good day the next day or who knows what. So I think yeah. that um, if, you, if you set a good example and even when um, the going gets tough and if you're chill and you just... I mean, because I can't think clearly if somebody's really upset standing next to me. I mean, I can't come up with the best solution. I'm like, man, you're freaking out. Let's take a breath. Come back here in five minutes, and then we'll get this figured out. You know, if you're if you're just really too too worked up. But um, you know, we all have the same common goal. We're trying to print a shirt and then uh, and then go home at five. And so um, I want to be happy when I'm here um, most of the time. <laughs> anyway. And uh, I there's found, some of the time you don't want to be happy there. <laughs> I, mean, sad or angry. Some, I mean, it is a job, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. there is work. I do stuff right. 
day that I don't. I mean, like. Andy calls me about every other day and tells me about how many times he cried in his office. <laughs> there are lots. Crying usually usually only happens on Fridays, but uh, but like but, crying is joy or crying because you're no. <laughs> a little bit of both. <laughs> um, but hey, that's all uh, right, man. Um. What's funny? I feel like, like I feel like that's important though. Like you said, like that's that's kind of like a tip as an owner is just like you need to you need to no matter what keep a cool head. Like you can't be that guy who just goes out and is a fucking asshole because something's wrong. Like like especially in my shop, there's something on press that happens, and like like Randy or Nate or somebody will like freak out over it, and they get all pissed off and they storm through the shop. And, and you like, know what? And when they do like, that, nobody wants to help them. Like right. if you're pissed and you yell at the whole thing and you're acting like that, who nobody wants to help you. But if you're si- sitting there and you're saying, ah, you know, this happened, like, what are we going to do? Well, the thing that I think is the funniest part of that is like, they're like pissed off about something that happened, but like, or something that's like going to happen. But it's like, I'm the owner. Like I'm the one who has to pay for that shit that got fucked up. Like it's my, yeah, press, they're it's invested my too. They're invested. no, I know, but I'm just saying that like, they're more pissed than I am when it's oh, me okay, who yeah. has to pay to fix it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I go out there and I'm like, dude, chill out. Like, it's okay. Like, I'm okay with it. Like, I could see you being pissed if you were pissed at the fact that I was pissed at you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if we were having an argument. But I'm going out there fucking whistling and snapping. And they're like, fuck, dude. It's like, dude, chill the fuck out. It's okay. That's good. That's like, handle it. we'll figure it out. Like, we'll get through it. Chill out. Cause then it makes everybody else walk on eggshells all day because they're like, Oh, I don't want to piss him off. And it's like, just fucking calm down, dude. Yeah. And it's just t-shirts. Just t-shirts. Right? <laughs> just t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? What do you do? Uh, usually if I'm having a day that's really difficult and I'm able to, I'll just walk away from it. Like I'll just like go home and so just try off. to relax and just like, and just recharge because usually when I get to that point where I'm way too stressed out over something, no matter how big or small it is, um, I'm usually burnt out. I'm usually at the stage where I'm just like burnt out and I've just been working too much. So like, I've kind of like, I feel like I've learned, uh, for better or worse to just kind of like walk away from it and just go home and just like, just relax and just come yeah, and back you, to it the next day. The saying, uh, just sleep on it. There's a reason why people say it you know? Yeah, totally. It, it works. So, I mean, I started doing that with all my separations, actually, I'll do a separation and then I'll leave it and then I'll sleep on it and I'll come back the next day and I'll look at it again and I'll change it Trash rather than do it all burning the all the, burning all the screens and being like, Oh fuck. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so I don't know. That's usually what I do. The next time, next time shit goes down here that I'm going to tell everybody just go sleep on it. We're all just going to go home <laughs> go to bed. Take well, I mean, that's the difference is you have, you have 20 people like, you know, I, you know, it's just me and my girlfriend Vicky here. So it's like, if we're like having a hard day, we'd be like, let's just go home and just chill and like watch a movie or like take a nap or something like that. <laughs> you know, sometimes you got to do that, man. We yeah. talk about that. I don't know if you guys did this in like kindergarten where they roll out that like blue mat and you had like nap time in the middle of the day. It's like, I, I still want that as a grown up. I want yeah, it, fucking, should, it should exist. I want like, like two thirty to roll around and the lights go like someone's flickering the lights and everybody knows it's like nap time. We just like roll out this yoga mat and just lay down on the ground and nap. Like all you need is 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> 30 maybe. Why are we not doing that? So, well, when you're, when you're stressed out and you're burnt out, you're not going to do a good job. You know what I mean? Like you're going to make mistakes. 
it might get worse. You know what I mean? So like, and I've done that before where like, I've been like printing for a really long time and I'm stressed and I'm doing something that's really difficult. And I'm like, I just like push myself to keep doing it. And then I just fuck it up. And then I just have to like replace shirts. So like, rather than replacing shirts, like just go home and chill out and then come back to it the next day with a clear head. You yeah. Know? yeah. How do you like working with your girlfriend? I love it. It's awesome. Cause when I started my shop, it was just me by myself and I had to do everything and it was really difficult. And, uh, she stepped in cause I mean, she was helping me after work, uh, some nights here and there and she stepped in full time and she like takes a lot of work off my plate and it's awesome. We work really well together. Yeah. Are we, you saying we, that because she's standing off camera with like a knife? <laughs> no, she's not here at all. She's not here at all. <laughs> I feel like everybody we talk to, I feel like nobody we've talked to that, that works with their significant other has been like, I fucking hate it. And it's probably because they know as soon as they say that they're going to get stabbed. No, it's awesome because like we, it was really hard for us to spend a lot of time together before we worked together. Now we're together all the fucking time. It's awesome. You know, if I I wouldn't, I wouldn't want her to be involved with the business if I didn't know that it wasn't going to be something that was awesome. You know? I get it. Makes sense. Heard that. Yeah. Well, hey, man, we appreciate you doing this with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was awesome. Hopefully we answered some of your questions and you're not just like, fuck those guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, you guys answered them really well. It was a really good answer. Those are great so, questions, too. So we're going to hit yeah. you up and yeah, you can ghostwrite some stuff for us. <laughs> I, I will definitely ghostwrite. Just let me know. I'm definitely going to send you the trailer to that gross ghostwriter show, just so you guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> All, All right, right man. see you, man. See you. All right, later, guys.